Hey, Faisal, how do you know when a nice guy's on a second date? I have no idea. He shows up in a moving van. <laughs> oh, oh, that is yeah. so true. That's so true. Do you ever wonder, why do I always seem to give so much more than I get? All I want is to be appreciated and loved. Is that asking too much? Why do all the jerks get the hot girls while I get stuck in the friend zone? When will it ever be my turn? If this sounds like you, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Nice Guy Show. This is the podcast that asks the question, how do I break free from the nice guy syndrome so I never have to come in last again? Now here are your hosts, Faisal Coker and Chuck Chapman. Hey guys, welcome to podcast number six of The Nice Guy Show. My name is Chuck Chapman. I'm here with my co-host, Faisal Coker. And today we're going to talk about how to avoid the death penalty. Four signs to look for before you enter into a long-term relationship. So Faisal, let's explain to the guys what we mean by death penalty. What's the death penalty in a relationship? Right, Chuck. You know, when you've entered a relationship, uh, and this happens so often, it's happened to uh, a lot of the guys I work with. So you meet this girl, it's going really well, everything's exciting, you've got, you know, there's a lot of intimacy, there's a lot of sex, there's a lot of connection, you guys are texting each other. And it's just fab. Next thing you know, you've decided to, you know what, after a few dates, you're thinking, well, everything's going so well, let's move in or let's push this to the next level. You kind of like slide into the next level. And then next thing you know, you, you're kind of like now planning to move in. And once you've moved in, then you're kind of like planning or not planning, but it kind of happens that she says, I'm pregnant. <laughs> And then she's having, she's, she's pregnant. And now what's happened is all those emotions have kind of like calmed down. So you moved in. Now she's pregnant. You've got a kid or maybe two kids. And then what's happening is the things that you didn't look out for start to surface. You start to find different things about each other. You cannot stand. You hate mm. each other. And then months, years and months and years pass. And then what you've discovered is you hate each other. It's vile. It's toxic. It's unbelievably um, what I call a problematic relationship. Mm. And then you discover you've had kids with her. You've maybe even got married. You uh, have a mortgage together, have a house together, your finances, everything's so intertwined. And what I mean by the death penalty is, you guys are forever together, you know, until the kids are, uh, you know, much older. They've ra you raise the kids. So you're going to spend a lot of time with that partner, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I think it happens a lot. And especially with nice guys, I think we tend to be impulsive and we tend to rush into things and like, oh, this is amazing and wonderful. Finally, there's somebody who is going to validate me and take care of me and meet all of my needs. And now my life is going to be problem free and smooth. Hmm. And then it's anything but that. I don't know. Have you ever you ever experienced anything like that? Well, all my relationships used to begin with like a, like a Formula One car, right into the mm -hmm. first. That's it. Off you go. As soon as I got the you know the flag is waving, boom, I'm in the relationship, and it's fast attachment. And you know what they say about fast attachment? Mm -hmm. It's a recipe for disaster. It's like uh -huh. going around the corner way too fast, 
and you're going to crash. Right. So I did that a lot. Yeah, I think, and again, like a lot of nice guys do that. I know I have done that multiple, multiple times in my life where uh, as soon as I find somebody who shows me the least amount of in- intention, I fall in love, you know, that it just takes a little tiny bit of like, ooh, I think she likes me. And then I'm like head over heels. I'm buying flowers and engagement rings and cars and, you know, all of those kind of things that we tend to do as a way to shower and love bomb the person that, you know, we are infatuated with. And then ultimately, you know, you, you get into a relationship with somebody like that and you realize that you don't really even know them. I remember my, my first wife and I, um, we met and within two months, I think we were engaged. And then within another six months, we got married. You know, and that, that marriage awesome. lasted, you know, 20 years, but it was, just, it was a lot of hell. And, uh, it ultimately what happened was, I think we both figured out we were in, you know, uh, a sentenced, you know, essentially to the death penalty. And then exactly. as we got out of that relationship and I started moving towards I mean, the, the next thing I did was I just repeated the same thing um, right after that. But finally, I got my shit together and I was like, okay, I can't continue to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. And that's when I really started kind of taking a look at myself and understanding how I showed up in relationships and how I would become obsessed with somebody as opposed to like really be in love with them. I found myself being in love with who I thought they could be versus being in love with who they really were. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can hear you on that. And you know, it's, it's nice to hear that I'm not the only guy who's rushed into uh, relationships way too fast. I remember my, uh, after my divorce, um, after that broke down, I had some time on my own, did some self work, self growth. But even when you've done some self growth and self work, what happens is you cognitively grow but you haven't embodied all the lessons yet. So there I was thinking, okay, I've done a lot of work. Now I want to get back into dating, go back into dating, met this really cute girl. Things are going well. And I'm thinking, okay, cool. She is into personal development. I'm into personal development. This is great. And then one thing led to another. And then a few months later, she's moved in. I'm like, mm. how the hell did that happen? <laughs> oh, I know exactly what happened. She was going through some challenges. I said, why don't you just move in? It just makes it easier. Or we can save, you can save the money on rent. Just move in. It's a logical step, right? So next, you know, she's moved in. And for that one, I mean, I was l- lucky. I, the growth work I had done was that I was able to exit the relationship much sooner than I did before. I mean, last, last one took me six years. This one took me nine months. Well, about mm-hmm. eight months too. So, mm-hmm. so Chuck, Let's have a look at the four signs, you know, um, to look out for to enter the relationship so we don't, you know, get hit by the death penalty. So what's number one? Number one is time, you know, uh, just don't rush into things like you've, you've got way more time than you think you do. Um, but the question is, is like, you know, when is enough time? How much time needs to pass? And I think a lot of that has to do with, again, the neurochemicals that are kind of going on. When you first meet somebody, there's lots and lots of oxytocin going on. 
that oxytocin is creating this immediate bond, this immediate kind of that it's that love chemical that makes you feel connected and in love. And, um, you know, oftentimes we call it love sick and because it is your love sick, you're sick with love. You can't think about somebody else. And one of the things that goes on when we're in that stage of the relationship is our prefrontal cortex shuts down and we can't see things that maybe we would see after that part of our brain comes back online. And you probably experienced this kind of thing where, you know, other people might be saying, hey, you know, what are you doing? She's got this issue. She's got this issue. And you're like, no, 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 they don't understand us. We're in love. We're in love. Everybody's against us. We're meant to be. That's We're the meant one. To be. That's the one. And you have to give your relationship enough time for those chemicals to start dissipating your prefrontal cortex to come back online so that you can actually make a clear decision. And I think the reason nature has us do that is because if we didn't have that, no one would probably ever get into a relationship. <laughs> you know, why would you get into a relationship? <laughs> oh, you know, here, 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 like the brain's got to shut down so that we can, so that we can procreate, so that we can um, help raise, you know, our offspring. But given it enough time, my general rule of thumb, and I want to hear what you have to say on this as well, but my general rule yeah. of thumb is you don't make any big decisions that first year that you're together. So whatever that looks like, whether it's moving in or anything like that, you got to, my, my recommendation from my personal experience was at least a year. How about you? Well, mine used to be like 12 hours, but now. 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After all the mistakes I've made. So mine is, I would say, at least two years. So mine two. is a little bit more on that. So I, I remember I had, I had a lot of fast attachment issues, anxious attachment. Mm -hmm. And I read this incredible book by Susan Anderson. Uh, it's on about abandonment. And she says, what happens is if you're a badaholic, and badaholics love to get into relationships. They get into really toxic relationships uh, really quickly, really fast. And then they uh, get out of the relationship. And then they feel, have this massive void. So they, uh, they have this abandonment feeling. And because they're badaholics, they want to get back into a relationship. So what they do is they get into a relationship, out of a relationship. So they're in, out, in, out, in, out. That's the pattern. That's a badaholicism. And I realized that, you know, sometimes we can do that with not just relationships, but with habits. How many times do we start something and then we never finish it? Or we're like, oh, that's a really good idea. Or let me start this. Let me start a new diet. Let me start this. And let me start a new habit. Let me start a morning routine. And we never finish it. And then we find something else to do. So she said that it's, uh, it's like the opium. You know, the opioids are releasing in your bodies. That's what you're addicted to. And that's... And, and how do you know when those opioids are all over your body, right? There's one mm -hmm. thing that most people will say, I found the one. Mm -hmm. right? I mm -hmm. found the one. This is it. This twin flame, soul flames, fucking <laughs> burning in flames afterwards, right? So you, when someone says that, I've known so many people, in the, even in the personal development community, even life coaches, they've come to me and said, Faisal, I found the one. Six minutes later, I'm like, what's happened? Oh, the relationship ended. And then another mm. month later, Faisal, no, this is different. No, 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 no. Trust me, Faisal. This is different. This is the one. I'm going, fucking, I've heard this before. It's not <laughs> the one. You know it's not the one. But they don't know it because, like you said, the prefrontal cortex is offline. So I'd say for those people, two years. 
Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's part of this lie that there is one person out there for you, you know, that your job as a person is to go find that one person. And that's such a fantasy Hollywood fairy tale kind of thing that there isn't just one person out there for you. Um, but it's really about no. finding somebody who has <laughs> like some compatibility, you know, and I think that's part of the giving it enough time is to kind of understand like, okay, are we compatible here? Do we have similar values? Do we have similar sex drives? Do we have similar uh, love languages. You know, what are the things that are going to create that? And like you can be in a relationship with somebody where there's not a lot of commonality, um, shared values, shared strengths, that kind of thing. But it's just so much harder than finding somebody who you are compatible with. And oftentimes, because we get into that initial stage of a relationship, and even though we kind of know that there's a compatibility issues, we tend to overlook them because, again, we're lovesick. And so by giving yourself a little bit more time, a little bit more space, whether it's a year, two years or whatever, you're able to find out if you truly are compatible. Because if if the compatibility issues are there, they're always going to be there. And that's always something that's going to come up and it's going to be a stressor on your relationship. So one of the things I found was like compatibility is a super important thing to really look for in a relationship. And just because you're not compatible with somebody doesn't mean that you don't like them or that you don't want to be with them. It's just that it's exactly. going to be exactly. much harder. Absolutely. It doesn't mean it's wrong either. You've got Android and you've got Apple, right? Oh, no, don't go there. They don't. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get on, but you know, I, I'm an Android guy. Maybe you're an Apple guy. It still, I works. am an Apple guy. Okay, we're gonna have conversations here. Yeah, we're okay, gonna have so a whole debate number, on that one. All right. Yes. Yeah, so due one. diligence. Due diligence. So now that's what you're talking about. It's just checking in, see if your values align, um, and I guess vetting. You know, you really start to assess each other because I never did that. Mm. Most of the guys I work with have never ever spend time filtering. This is what nice guys do. They, they have no filters. Absolutely. Uh, high value men, high charismatic, high value men. What they have is the high status people always filter. They always, you can't just easily get something. They will they'll, they'll take the time and they'll assess, right? Here's the difference between a nice guy and a high value man. Nice guys go out on dates to impress High value, high status people go out to assess. Mm, I like that. Difference. That's a huge difference. You know, most guys that I know will spend more time researching a lawnmower that they want to buy. You know, they're <laughs> buying, you know, <laughs> doing web searches, you know, uh, looking, comparing, shopping, all that kind of stuff. They'll spend hours and hours and hours looking for the right kind of lawnmower. Whereas with a woman, it's like, oh, she likes me. Okay, that's good enough. And she's hot. That's it. Done. She's hot. That's it. I don't need anything more. So spending some time to really do your due diligence and, and figuring out like which stage of the relationship are you in? Most nice guys, especially go from zero to a thousand. What I liken it to is like, if you were, if you had a, a business you were running, let's say, and you had a position open and let's call this position uh, future life partner. All right. So what you're doing on dating, like you said, is you're assessing. So you're going out and you're basically doing job interviews, right? Okay. Is this a person who might be 
somebody that would fit into this position that I have open. So what you do then is you find somebody and you say, okay, well, let's test this out for 90 days. You know, and uh, when you get hired, at least in the U.S., you get hired generally for 90 days and that's trial period. And then after 90 days, well, then you become an employee and that's when you get benefits and that kind of thing. Most of us will run into a relationship and the first thing we do when that first 90 days is we give her all of the benefits. She moves in with us. She's on our insurance plan, you know, all those kind of things that we tend to do. But that first 90 days is really just a trial period. Then you go into the second phase, which is, okay, boyfriend, girlfriend or committed relationship. Okay, I'm going to try this out. So we stay together for six months, a year. And then it's like, okay, you've been doing a really good job. Let's promote you to fiance. And now in fiance, we spend a year or so as we're planning the wedding and getting together. And then finally, the day comes where you get the position of future life partner. That's not what most nice guys do. Most nice guys go from, you know, you're the first person that I've, you know, the first applicant, you show me some attention and here's a wedding ring. That, yeah, it is. I think they carry one. I think there's a nice guy shop or something with, with, with all the flowers, the wedding rigs, everything moving stuff. Yeah. But Chuck, there's one problem. Nice guys. Mm, have. What's that? Right, actually, what's that? two problems, right? Okay. They don't have enough applicants applying. Mm. Right. right. So any application that comes along, they're like, you know what? I'll just settle for this. Yep. That's a problem. And because that's the thinking, well, I don't know when I'm going to get a next application. Or right. so I might as well just make do with what I have. So they mm-hmm. settle. Have you ever settled? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's a, you know, it, it, sometimes it's easier, right? It's like a, looking for a partner can be, you know, hard work. You know, you're going out on all these dates. Oh, yeah. You're, you know, you're, you're meeting all of these people. And it's really easy to just kind of say, all I really want is somebody that can just like hang out with me and, you know, Netflix and chill. And so we'll settle. We'll settle for the person that, you know, comes along and, um, you know, like, okay, like this is, this is it. First person, like I said, who shows me just the slightest amount of attention. That's generally who I fall in love with. That's it. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about number three. All right. So number three is conflict resolution, right? Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of nice guys are conflict avoidant. All we want is peace, keep it all smooth, just problem-free <laughs> life. When I, when I have that, that's when I'm at my best. I don't want my nervous system to be anyway rattled. I just want peace. <laughs> but life and relationship is anything but other than having dramas and conflict and all of this stuff in it. When I meet a guy who tells me he's been in a relationship for a, a period of time and, and that they've never had conflict, that to me is a red flag. Because if you're not having conflict, then you're probably not really talking about your needs and their needs. You're probably just kind of going along to get along. Um, I know that that's what I did for many, many years. In fact, I sort of prided myself like I would be in a relationship in my first marriage. We were, we were married and, you know, the number of times we actually had conflict, I could probably count on one hand. We didn't do conflict well. We avoided it, you know. Uh, we, we stuffed it down and all that happened then was we had all of these resentments that built years after years because we were never able to talk about what our needs were because we're afraid of the other person's response. We were afraid of conflict. And so... so did you guys... 
Did you just hold back then? Did you were like, ah, you know what, there's something I want or I'm not happy with? Did you yeah. just what, what just kind of buried it, buried it down? You know, it's like okay, my needs aren't important. Um, and I think again, that's a nice guy tendency is to say, well, okay, I might need this, but it's not important, and I don't want. You know, if I assert myself and I say, Hey, this is what I want. She tells me, no, she, that that's not okay. Then I feel rejected and I go back into that, you know, place of lower self, that butt hurt place. And it's better to just kind of like be covert about it and get my needs met in a covert way rather than to express my needs. And so if you're not having conflict, then I think you're not really learning how to communicate. And that part of communication is truly having conflict and working all the way through that conflict on the other side of the conflict so that you can resolve it. And then you can realize, okay, we can have conflict and resolve it. Nice guys are terrified that if there's conflict, their needs aren't going to be met and that the conflict will never resolve and that they will feel like they're on the losing end or the short end of the stick always. You know, when you when I think about conflict, that's what I used to think about. Okay, if I'm going to get into an argument with someone, it's going to be I. I'm thinking worst case scenario. When every every time I was confronted with a um, conflict, I'm just thinking the worst case scenario. I'm not even thinking about actually. You know what? There might be a resolution. We can resolve this, and it's part of the process. All I'm thinking, oh, oh my god, this is it. This is the worst thing now, and uh, I'm going to lose that person. Or we're never going to resolve it. Things are never going to get better from this. That's when my rational brain is offline. So I'm just thinking the worst case scenario. So therefore, I avoided it a lot. I didn't want to have conflict. I'm thinking, yeah, I can resolve it. Or I stayed passive about it. Or even worse was I used to get, you know, sulk and get butthurt about it and not Mm. actually address the situation until the resentment got to right to my roof and then... Mm. Like a volcano, it exploded. Yeah. Then everything came out very clumsily, very raw, very hurtful, very painful. And that's what happens when you just keep all of that inside, right? Absolutely. And I think that I will oftentimes ask my clients, like, what did your dad teach you about relationship? What did your mom teach you about relationship? What did your dad teach you about conflict? And most of the time, the, you know, the, the answer is something like, oh, nothing or that, you know, um, conflict is bad, something along those lines. And, and I'll just say to them, look, this isn't your fault. Like nobody just taught you how to have some conflict and how to have, you know, basic communication skills. And there's a lot of really great uh, resources out there for learning to have conflict. One of them that I like is the, the Imago Dialogue. And the other one that I like is called nonviolent communication. And those are things you guys can look up. But those are two communication skills that get you into a certain process where you can work through conflict the whole way and create more confidence in the relationship because you're able to resolve the conflict. Yeah. And, and we need, we, we do, we do need conflict because I remember only a few weeks ago, I had a, a, a conflict with my sister and the kids were there. And we all sat down and we just did not get on. And my kids were there and I said to him, look, listen, I want you to stay and be present. And I want us to be able to move through this. Let's move through it. It doesn't mean that we have to avoid it or you have to step away. Because I remember in my childhood when there was conflict, you know, kids go away or, you know, don't get involved. Whereas this one was, you know, I, I involved the kids only in this circumstances and we all mm-hmm. worked through it. 
and they were able to express, they were able to understand, you know, it got heated for all of us, but what happened was the repair and that's mm. the most important thing. And I remember you saying this as well uh, in our discussions before. It's not just how we have the conflict. It's the fact that we have the competency ability to repair, which is so key. Absolutely. I always say shit happens. It's how you clean it up that matters. Oh, thanks for oh. that. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Let's talk about number four, growth. You know, what do we mean when we say growth? I don't mean like physically we're now getting obese. That's not what we mean. But what <laughs> right. I think, what growth is, this is really key for me, is that both both of us, uh, we're on a journey of growing and having introspection. Now, there is there used to be a lot of times when I used to hear the feminine narrative, oh, you know, women are much more, um, you know, emotionally advanced. Yes, they are emotionally advanced. But nowadays, I don't think they're necessarily more growth-oriented more than men. I think there's th that gap is definitely growing, uh, sorry, closing. Mm. And what I find is there's a lot of uh, men and women I meet who have no interest in looking into themselves. They have what I call a closed mindset. So what's important to me is when I meet a person, when if I get into a relationship with any woman, men, even if it's intimate or non-intimate, they have the capacity to have a look at themselves, question themselves, challenge themselves, ask questions, and not be very closed-minded about it and ignore everything, bury under that. So that's what I mean by growth. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, growth is so important. It's, it, is a, um, it is a need that we all have. It's an emotional need. You know, We need to grow. If we're not growing and changing and expanding, then what we're doing is we're shrinking back, we're atrophy, we're dying a slow death. So if you're not growing in your relationship in the same way that you're growing in yourself, then all that's going to happen is it's just going to become kind of stagnant. And that's why conflict, actually, going back to conflict, is kind of a good thing because it helps you grow. You know, you can't grow. You know, when we think about what grows in a stagnant pond, you know, like little tiny things, right, versus a raging river. You know, there's salmon and big fish and whatnot that growth requires stretch, which requires tension, which nice guys hate. <laughs> but the willingness to have that is going to help you grow in the relationship. One of the things Robert always says that I love, he says, relationships are a personal growth machine. You will learn more in a relationship about yourself than you will outside of a relationship. And I think that's absolutely true. That is so true. And, um, just thinking about how much growth I've done, not just in intimate relationships, but all kind of relationships, especially when you're with someone who's strong. You mm -hmm. know, when, when you're when you're confronted with someone who's strong, because I know a lot of nice guys, we you know, we want to keep away from strong people, but strong people are the one who will challenge you and and question you, and that's the part that a lot of, especially nice guys, we hate feedback. We hate to be looked into because, you know, we have this uh, shame fracture. I call it, there's something wrong with me. And every mm -hmm. time there's a conflict or every, every time there's, there's an opportunity to look into ourselves, oh my God, my flaws will be discovered or, or things that are wrong about me will be out in the surface. And I don't want that. And that's some of the times why I see nice guys don't want to do full deep work as well. Absolutely. Yeah, so those are the four signs. Time, due diligence, conflict resolution, and growth. Uh, those are the things to kind of look for. You know, give yourself some time, do your due diligence, 
learn how to have conflict and then learn how to grow and allow yourself to expand and change in the relationship. So Faisal, what should, what should some guys, what some of our listeners do if they find themselves in situations like this, that, you know, maybe they're, they're the head for that death penalty. My advice is <clears throat> do some due diligence, like you're spending hours on a monitor, right? Buying stuff. Like I spent hours trying to find this webcam, how, you know, how amazing <laughs> it is. I did a lot of due diligence. Let's spend the same time about every step you take. And I, I see this guys who are just uh, before getting married, they don't spend enough time on themselves, on the relationship. So my advice is take your time, spend, invest time and also money, get additional help. You know, if you're going to get married, I highly recommend look at couple therapy and people say, mm -hmm. why have couple therapy? I'm like, Hey, prevention is better than cure. Chuck, how Absolutely. about you? Absolutely. And, you know, that's the thing is that people enter into couples therapy when it's the relationship is usually too far gone. You know, the, when you need to enter into couples therapy is at the beginning so that you can learn new skills and you can learn those communication skills. So I think taking the time again to invest in yourself, invest in your relationship, learn how to communicate, get some tools, whether it's a Mago dialogue or if it's uh, nonviolent communication, or even if it's something else, you know, Gottman, something like that, but take some time, invest in yourself and in your relationship because there's a good chance. Nobody really taught you how to have a relationship. It was just modeled for you and probably not modeled in a way that was necessarily a good way. Right. Mm. So we're going to talk just quickly about our next program. And I think it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be a little bit different because for those of you that don't know this, Faisal is in an open relationship and I'm in a monogamous relationship. And we're going to talk about the benefits of monogamy versus open relationship. We're going to have maybe a little debate, you know, which is better, an open relationship or, an, or a monogamous relationship. I said, Chuck, this is where our conflict, conflict might come out. And this is where we're going to <laughs> resolution on this because you know you and I have some different opinions on this but I'm sure um, the read the listeners are going to find this interesting so gentlemen the next show is what is best monogamous or open relationship who knows see you in the next episode you've been listening to the nice guy show the podcast that helps nice guys move past their insecurities and fears into the fullness of their masculine strength and confidence be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and check out the website niceguyshow.com for more information on how to connect with Chuck and Faisal. Until next time, keep living your best life.